Thank you very much, Martin. I did think it would be ironic if my microphone didn't work, but we're uh, going first of all, so that is absolutely uh, fantastic. I think everybody in this room, no matter what age or stage you are, no matter how much technology you've adopted in your own life, we would all agree that the pace and uh, the variety of technological progress and change in our culture in this country is just incredible. Uh, The level of technological change has happened, uh, it's reached so far, it's even uh, reached one of the more uh, backwaters of progress, uh, which is Shrewsbury Town Football Club. And uh, what you can now do when you go to uh, buy a ticket is you can go online and you get a map of the stadium and you can choose the exact uh, seat that you'd like and you can buy it online and then you can print your ticket out at home and then you take the barcode, they scan it on the gate and in you go. So last week against Blackburn Rovers, I trialled this new system. And it was absolutely fantastic. I was able to sit next to my friends picking the exact seat Without having to leave my armchair, I could do the full works. So we played Scunthorpe on Saturday, and again, I booked the seat, I bought it, printed it out, ready to roll for the big game. I arrive at the turnstile, and the guy scans it, and nothing happens. He scans it again, and nothing happens. A third time, he scans it, nothing happens. I look behind me, the queue that was seven or eight deep behind me is now about 30 deep. I am the one who's holding up the queue because technology has let me down. The barcode is not scanning. I look at him with a look of absolute horror and he looks back at me and he says, that's a Blackburn ticket, mate. (laughs) 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 Oh, oh dear. Fortunately, I was able to talk my way in by showing the barcode on my phone via another entrance once I'd legged it. So uh, that's, uh, that's how technology has blessed me in the last 24 hours. Uh, In this culture series, we have looked at how our culture is shaped by individualism, materialism, hedonism, and how these things affect our belief systems, our relationships, and our view of possessions. We have seen that there are some big movements within our society. Essentially, increasingly, we are putting our trust in self, stuff, and pleasure. Self, stuff, and pleasure is taking the place of God in our society. And in some ways, technology and the use of technology is on the forefront of those things, self, stuff, and pleasure. Technology is involved in all of those things. Somehow, God has been removed from his rightful place, and we're serving ourselves So how do we as Christians respond to this vast technological change? What what are we supposed to think about space rockets and robots, about mobile phones and computers, about Facebook and Instagram? Where, Where do we go for some illumination and some wisdom? But it's interesting because technology isn't just about what's new. 
Even though if I use the word technology, I'm sure many of us will instantly start to think about things that are relatively recent. Some of us might hear the word technology and our eyes sort of glaze over and we think to yourself, well, I'm not really interested in all that new stuff, actually. But then we're here sitting on plastic seats, listening to a talk coming through a microphone with images projected on a screen behind us. Technology is everywhere. Many of us tend to sort of get comfortable to a certain level of technological development, and then we don't really want to go much further. Probably depending on how old we are, there's a moment that you just decide to stop and actually I've adopted all I need to live and the rest of it is a bit over the top. It's very strange for me to think that my children are born into a world where a tablet computer will be as normal to them as a knife and fork was to me. I sat with, uh, with Joy uh, looking at something on the laptop recently and she wanted to see something on a different part of the screen. So she put her finger down and she swiped the screen in order to focus on the thing that she wanted to look at. And I said to her, I said, sorry, Joy, this isn't a touchscreen laptop. And she looked at me like I had two heads. <laughs> what is this rubbish you've brought into our household, Dad? What's a trackpad? How do you expect me to work on this? But there is nothing new about technology and about technological progress. As humanity has entered into our calling to be fruitful, to fill the earth, to subdue it, in every generation ever, there has been continued technological progress. In the New Testament times, it was the military technology of the Roman Empire that people would have been talking about. It would have been their road building, their public works, their naval power. The Romans had built great cities and great armies using the very latest technology. And how you felt about that technology was normally based on whether you were living in one of those cities or whether you were fighting their army. You would have had very different views on what you thought about it. But the technology itself, this sense of increasing progress, is neutral. It all depends on what we use it for. Many of us at the moment are watching the news and we're seeing rockets being launched in North Korea. And there's a concern and there's a worry that these rockets traveling up to uh, inner space will be able to carry nuclear warheads and they'll cause great harm and great destruction. We're worried about that technological progress. But we're watching those news images on a television which will partly be powered by electricity which has probably come from nuclear power. And we're watching images which have been beamed by satellites which have been taken up to space by rockets just like that one. It's not the technology that's the problem. It's what people choose to use it for. And every generation has had to face the same questions. In every generation, the church has had to respond to the technological change that it has seen. What should our response be? Whether in this country that would have been uh, to the working conditions in the, uh, in the cotton mills uh, during the Industrial Revolution or the family changes that came about in our society with the advent of the railways and travel right the way through to today and stem cell research and DNA matching and all that sort of stuff, grappling 
with how do we respond to the technology of the day is nothing new. Even though the technology we might be encountering is new. In every generation, the church has to take a step back and consider what our response will be. The Bible doesn't mention nuclear weapons or Twitter or the internal combustion engine. And yet it is still full of wisdom for us in every generation. So that's where we're going to go now. We're going to be looking in Colossians and we are in chapter 3. Paul is in prison and he's writing a letter to a group of believers where uh, someone who was influenced by Paul's teaching in Ephesus has gone to this new town and established a church and people have responded to the gospel. And in the first part of the book, he's really helping to straighten out some some false thinking, some false doctrine uh, about Jesus. And he's given a massive explanation of who Jesus is, of what he did, of why he did it, of what it means for us. Jesus has done everything that we need. Jesus is Lord. He is high above all creation and he's paid a penalty that we can be rescued And then Paul changes direction and he starts talking to the church and saying, well, if all that about Christ is true, then how does it affect our relationships, our family, our life in general? And it's in that mind that we come to this passage. Whatever you face, whatever you are encountering, look at it underneath the overarching power and authority and position in the universe of Jesus. If Jesus is up and over everything, then that includes the technology of today. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. There's going to be so much in these verses I'm not going to be drawing out, but I'm looking for wisdom from Scripture of how do we face the technological uh, situation in our day. It's very easy to lose our focus because of technology, especially what I describe as like personal technology, social media, computers, mobile phone, TV. It can be so easy that that becomes the focus of our life. That's where we spend our time. That's what we think about. But verse 3 seems clear. Because of who Jesus is, set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. How are we doing with that in a world that's full of other stuff that we could be looking at and enjoying? Now, I'm not suggesting that we all sort of turn into Luddites and we have a ceremonial burning of our smartphones today. I'm not suggesting that for a moment. But there is a question for us already. What is our mind set on? Is it set on the things above where Jesus is, seated at the right hand of God? In fact, we can use technology to help us focus on him. Daily Bible readings downloading sermons, reading Christian books on our Kindle. There's lots of ways that technology can help us to draw close to God. But my goodness, there are so many other ways that it can cause us to lose our focus. 
And yet Christians have often been on the forefront of new technology, using it to further the gospel. If we think about printing and the printing press, so much of that new technology came about with uh, scripture and a desire to disseminate Christian values, Christian knowledge, Christian literature. Technology can so be used to further the gospel. It can be used to focus on God, and yet it can also be a huge distraction. From verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. It's incredible as you look through the ages how technological advances have been so intertwined with the evil and the difficulty at the heart of mankind. From mechanized warfare right the way through to the sexualization of culture and the availability of pornography. Who here remembers the Betamax video recorder? Hands up. That dates us. And who actually had a Betamax? Yeah, there you go. And then suddenly VHS took over, didn't it? And uh, it was a thing of the past. I remember studying the, uh, the development of the video recorder when I was at university. We were doing a project on the development of the DVD, the collaboration around the DVD. And what's fascinating, when Betamax and VHS were uh, jostling for position, which was going to be the technology of the future, it was the fact that the pornography industry, in America especially, took on board VHS as its format, was what helped it win, commercially, the battle. And when the DVD, when there was a massive collaboration of the big organizations to make the DVD as a single standard, quite a lot of the driving force and the money behind that, again, was the pornography industry. Right the way through to now where we can watch uh, live streaming and Netflix and all that sort of stuff, a lot of that technology was developed, first of all, for disseminating pornography. There's so much good that all of that, that technology uh, can be used for, but somehow it seems like mankind always seems to pick up the technology and then add it to the darkness of our own hearts, and then it causes like an, inv- an advancement to the sin, and the whole thing spirals. And so in our culture today, in this country, we're talking about children uh, having you know, trying to avoid children having access to adult content and, and, and teaching them the dangers of exchanging photographs and all that kind of stuff. Where did that happen? Where did that come from in our society? This view of, of sex and relationships has just been completely scrambled. And behind that, it's a misuse of technology that has actually been driving that forward. And the politicians have struggled to keep pace with it. And dare I say it, so's the church. That's why we're really pleased to have built a friendship with Ian Henderson, who's coming again in a few weeks uh, to help equip us and to help equip parents, especially on how we can raise our children in this new world where so many things have changed because of technology. I think it's also interesting on that list uh, that greed is there as well. 
Now, Terry did such an excellent job talking about possessions last week. I'm not going to sort of go on about that one. But it is interesting how this technological development, this technological place has within it somewhere the need to have the new one, the new model that's been brought out. And, and the people trying to sell us stuff have got clever and they've started adding numbers to the technology so that we think the one that we've got is rubbish. So if you take cameras, you might ask yourself, well, how many megapixels is this camera? Is it four megapixels or is it 20 megapixels? Obviously, 20 is better. Except that what really makes a picture in a camera is the sensor and the lens. It's not really to do with the number of megapixels. That's the size of the image. Sure, it will make a difference, but they can't have a, a numerical way of expressing the other two, so they're just trying to sell you a 50-megapixel camera, which means you could take a photo and you could probably project it onto the side of St. Paul's Cathedral or something, and I'm not sure many of us need to do that with our family photos. But we get bigger and bigger numbers. We need more and more. We need the latest model. And, and this sort of insatiable desire for more is being fed by new technology. But if you want to explore that further, I'll just recommend to you Terry's talk from last week. In verse 8 now. But you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, does that say Scythian? Yep, there we go. Slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and respect. Those are not words that I associate with the use of social media. In fact, in the news, almost always when they say, and this incident has generated a huge storm on Twitter, at that point, I know I probably won't care very much about what they're talking about, but there's lots of other people who've got really, really angry about it. And if you don't use social media yourself... That's fine, I'm going to be talking specifically for those of us who do, but actually think how much it's taking over and we're now waking up in the morning to see the the latest tweet that the President of the United States has written because that might start a war 
I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? The way social media has changed, uh, the world's changed, politics has changed, the way we get our news has changed. So do bear with me a moment if you're not in social media, but it's worth digging into it because it does affect all of us, whether we use it or not. But of course, if you are connected with other people on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or Twitter or whatever it is, there's a whole new world of challenge and opportunity for Christians. Someone sent me this image this week uh, with the question, what would Jesus tweet? And uh, I think that's, uh, that's quite a good place to start. The, um, the arguments that people have on social media, I just don't think it is all that helpful. In my Bible reading, I came across Amos 5 verse 13. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. I'm not saying that we don't stand up for our belief. I'm not saying that we don't give an account for the faith that we profess. But I do wonder sometimes whether we need to have that argument in the public domain of social media. Or even worse, when when Christians are arguing with each other about something in a public setting where everyone else can read it. And it's like, that must be an incredibly self-defeating thing. Verse 9 says, do not lie to one another. And I wonder if we can draw something out of that about the perception we give other people of ourselves through social media. We can certainly give a false impression if we want to. Is that the same as lying? It's a question that we can be challenged by. Do we make things look better than they are? Or or do we make things look worse than the way they are? I've got someone who went to one of my old schools who I am connected with on social media who lives in another part of the country. And their social media feed was lots of really arty pictures of her and her husband. And then for a period of a couple of months, it was her ranting and raving about what a toe rag he was because he cheated on her. And now it's back to really arty photos of them together in the woods with their beautiful children all looking amazing. Firstly, I don't think I need to know any of that about them, and I wish I didn't. But secondly, what is the reality behind the scenes? The truth is, we don't know. Another person who I see quite regularly was responding to the news reports of the conservative government trying to uh, do a, a coalition with the DUP after the last election. So this is speaking of Theresa May. I can't comprehend that gargoyle chumming it with those sexist, homophobic, creationist self-abusers back to the Dark Ages. Now, I'm not a supporter of everything that the DUP sort of stand by, but I am a conservative evangelical Christian in this country. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, how do I respond to something like that? The prudent stay quiet because the times are evil. And as we speak, and by the way, that's someone who is quite clearly my friend. Um, crazy, crazy days. Ultimately, as I read this part of the passage and I think about the way we communicate with each other and the way we communicate with those outside, are our words from verse 8 or verse 12? Anger, rage, malice, slander, or 
compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If we just read back to bear one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance. If we're going to do that, I suppose we probably not mention it on Facebook as well. If we're going to bear with one another, maybe not mentioning it is part of the way we do that. And I think there's two real challenges that sort of social media has placed right in the middle of our society. And again, we need to consider how we respond to it. The first is comparison, and the second one is distraction again. This summer, we had a lovely holiday uh, with the children down in Weymouth. We had a great time away, had an absolutely fantastic time. I was so happy, so grateful, so content. And then as I came back home and I started seeing lots of photos appearing on other people's of kind of like foreign beach holidays and stuff like that, I felt a bit of jealousy creeping in. I was completely happy with everything that I'd experienced until I saw what other people had. Let's not gaze at each other's events and and things that's happened to them and be dissatisfied with what we have, but let's be thankful. Because all we're seeing is like a snapshot of the high points of people's life. It's not all like that. And so often we can be comparing ourselves with stuff that's not even real. It's not even true. They might have had a terrible holiday. They just took a lovely photo. Do you know what I mean? We just, we don't know. We've all done that, haven't we? And, uh, but let's just enjoy what God's given us and not compare ourselves, especially when what we're comparing ourselves to probably isn't real. And then distraction is a big issue too, probably more so than ever with mobile phones and the amount of things that could be available to us. Remember, we started with setting our hearts on the things above. How much of our time, I'm speaking to myself as much as any of you, how much of our time do we spend on, on things around technology? How much headspace do we leave ourselves with? What is our focus? And these verses seem to be uh, encouraging love for one another, care for one another. There's a picture here of a community life, of a fellowship, of a depth of relationship. And yet all of this tech can actually leave us feeling very detached. It's brilliant that you can Skype your friends in Australia and, and stay in touch with people through technology. But then you see people walking together down the street, both immersed in their phones. Or you go to a restaurant and you see uh, a family sat around together and everybody's just staring at their phones, not talking to each other. People are not really fully in the situation that they're in because they've got other conversations that are going on in cyberspace and work comes with them wherever they go through emails and laptops. And it can actually harm our real relationships with real people because we're not really there. They don't have all of our attention. They don't have all of our hearts. And it's a, it's a big challenge for all of us. It's a big challenge for me trying to give attention to the kids, for example, when there's texts and emails and personal messages on Facebook all whizzing around and the phone keeps beeping and all that kind of stuff. All of it can take your attention from the relationships right in front of you. And then from verse 16, let the message of Christ Dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, 
whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I would suggest to you this morning that verse 17 is the litmus test from Scripture that we can put to any technological advance to decide the Christian response to it. Can we use it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him? Can we? Whatever it is, can we ask that question? Can we do it wholeheartedly, giving thanks to the Lord Jesus? And the final point I want to make, just before I conclude, is that in every generation, in every culture, the latest technology has, has given birth to the lie that there's been a reduction in our need for God. That's not a new thing. That's happened throughout the ages, but it's happening in this generation as well. If we can take more and more control of our health and our lives and our well-being and our travel, and if we can stay connected and if we communicate and if we can generate wealth and if everything's just going to get better and better and better, why do we need your old-fashioned religion? Dr. Nigel Barber, a biopsychologist, did a study of 137 nations and concluded that atheists are heavily concentrated in economically developed countries and religion will decrease as individuals' personal wealth increases. He's written a book and he proposes that people do not have to rely on supernatural influences when material possessions are catering to their needs. Religion declines not only because people are becoming richer, but also because of an increased quality of life, a decline of serious diseases, better education and better protection from the welfare state. So we look at the modern world, we look at where we've got to in science, we look at the breakthroughs that we have in technology. Now we have all the answers that you used to need your religion to fill. Now we found them through the technological breakthrough. This is not true. It is a fundamental misunderstanding that's caused a lie in our culture. Billy Graham himself answers this question brilliantly in a TED talk that is still available on YouTube. I tell you that because I am shamelessly ripping it off, but I'm pointing you to him to go and watch it in your own time. Technology is so wonderful, but there are serious significant problems that it doesn't and will never solve, and they're still with us. And dare we say it, they're probably magnified by technology. The first one of them is human evil. Where does it come from and how do we solve it? On the one hand, we can probe the deepest areas of the universe and we can push back the boundaries of technology, but we can't answer the question of the darkness inside ourselves. And there's still injustice and there's still violence and there's still war. There's difficulty still ravage our world. How can we change man so he doesn't lie and cheat and hurt and steal? The Bible says that the problem is within us. There's also the problem of suffering. So much of science and technology has wonderfully pushed back the boundaries and the effects of suffering and illness and degeneration. We thank God for that. It's his gift to us. We're not afraid of it. It's absolutely brilliant, but they're still pushing back the inevitable. And then human evil happens as well, and we end up 
suffering some more. And then death itself, the forbidden subject of our generation almost. We live now as though we will never die. And when someone dies, there's great shock, there's great surprise. And yet it is inevitable. And it's, it, of course, it's astonishingly sad, but it's such an obvious destination for each and every one of us. But we almost don't, we're trying to push it back so much, we've almost lost the ability to talk about it, to even question what happens, why does it happen, and to have a voice in that evil, suffering, and death. These are questions that technology leaves us without any remote hope of an answer. The biggest questions of our human identity and being are not touched by technology in that sense. Technology asks a whole load of new questions, but it leaves us without the answers to the biggest questions of all. And so we can be confident because these big questions, these deepest questions of all have an answer. They have an answer that we have found in the Lord Jesus. I don't know how the Hadron Collider thingy works, but I do know that the Lord Jesus laid down his life for the forgiveness of sins. And I know that he comforts those in difficulty in life. And I know that he gives us a hope beyond the grave through his death and his resurrection and a promise of eternity with him in glory. The answers that we've found can never be found in technology. They can never be replaced by technology. Technology is not a threat to the good news, to the gospel. Technology is not all good and it's not all bad. What matters is Jesus. Set your eyes on him and on the things above. If technology helps us to do that, let's go for it. If technology hinders us from doing it, let's forget it. But what matters is Jesus. Set our eyes on him. That is what they discovered in Colossae. And 2,000 years later, the technology's changed, but the answer is exactly the same. Thank you.